Good morning, church. What a morning, man. Celebrating. And amen. Honor, we honor you veterans today. And thank God for, for Rob McClellan, who's on our staff, and, and the hat. That is, a, that is beautiful. Thank you. We honor you guys today and celebrate even these baptisms of people walking in the Lord and publicly professing him together. Man, that's what church is really all about. Amen. So it's good to be with you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, where we're Continuing on, we're going to be in chapter 5 today, so be looking for that. But one thing I want to mention before, um, as you're turning there, is our Christmas block party. We just rolled off a fall block party just a, a few weeks ago, and it was um, unbelievable. And we are going to have a Christmas block party up in December, and uh, on, on December the 12th, 4 to 7. And my favorite part about this is those big old snow slides. They get in on inner tubes, they come down, and they, they spray the snow all on the yard. And the, it's just, you know, I just absolutely love it. And then there's Christmas music, right? How many of you already listen to Christmas music? Are you already with me on that? Okay, good. I'm already up in the Buble album, all right, uh, listening to my Christmas music. All right, I know some of y'all booing us before Thanksgiving. We need to be thankful, y'all, while we listen to Christmas music. All right, um, I'm going to read Ephesians 5, verse 1 to 21. Let's just... Sit quietly before the Lord let the, and open our hearts and our ears uh, to the Lord and let him speak to us by his spirit through his word. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partaker or partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's Word. Will you pray with me? Father, we, um, we now open your Word and we open our hearts and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us richly with your word and yourself. And Lord, I pray that the result would be joy for your people this morning. And I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Have you ever traveled uh, internationally, been uh, exposed to other world cultures, and maybe experienced a little bit of culture shock? You know, coming from America and you go, or Texas, and you go somewhere around the world and you run into things that make you feel very uncomfortable internationally in other cultures. And they don't even think anything of it, but you're just sitting there dying, you know. This happened to me. I go to South Korea and uh, about 20 years ago, actually, I was preaching uh, in Daejeon in the middle of South Korea in Mokpo down in the south. And um, I was uh, tra- being taken around by a pastor to visit different people at houses and stuff like that uh, because they like to pay attention to the American, right? They, can't, they don't have an ear of the people, but when they have an American with them, they all of a sudden, everybody listens, you know? So you just sort of walk uh, with these pastors. But he's traveling, he's taking me around the town, and he wants to introduce me to something that is in Korea, and they do, and they don't even think anything of it, but we don't really do that in America, or at least that way. Um, and he wants to introduce me to bathhouses. So apparently, yeah, you get it? So apparently, they go, they don't bathe the same way we do in America, uh, the men particularly, they go like a couple of times a week to a bathhouse, and then they really do the job, you know what I mean? Uh, so they don't have to do it for a few days. I mean, they even had a skin scraping station. You ever heard of those? Like, <laughs> I mean, you like the guy on the table, like, oh, you know, and you're like, I am not going over there. Uh, anyway, I got ahead of myself here. But the way he described it, it was like, like little hot tubs and pools and saunas and steam rooms and stuff like that. It sounded like a YMCA or, or a, a workout club or something to me. I was like, that sounds fun. Let's go, you know. Uh, what I didn't know is I would soon run into the shock of my life. Um, I go into, uh, by the way, there's women bathhouses, okay, and there's men bathhouses. Let me preface that. that they, they don't mingle, okay. Uh, so the men's bathhouse, we're going to the math, men's bathhouse. He takes me to the locker room, and in his broken English, he tells me, okay, take everything off. And only wear this, just this. And he showed me a wristband. <laughs> I wanted to die and go to back to Alabama. Uh, and I was like, okay, I kind of understand the locker room guy, locker room thing, you know. And I was like, oh, my goodness. This is like the horror for me, right? So I, I do the deed, right? And I'm breaking through my uncomfortableness with all of this. And he wants to go for a walk. And we go down hallways and stuff. No towels. I'm like, where are the towels? He's like, they're in the back of the place. we got to go get them. I'm like, we're greeting people. Like, and they think nothing of it. Just walking around. And, and so he walks me through these double doors. It's like you open the double doors and you walk into the bathhouse, right? And the bathhouse is a room like, like about as big open as this section right here. Like huge open room. Hundreds of men all sitting around. Nothing but wristbands. And, you know, if, if uh, the worst part about this whole deal, he walks me in, and all of them are in there, and you're an American. Uh, so you're Western, you're white, you're tall, you stand out. And everybody, you go into a restaurant, they all look at you. And staring over there is not like here. Staring is rude for us, not there. They're just like, you know, okay. So I walk into the room with this pastor, and guess what? All the conversations seem to stop. Silence comes upon the room, and they all look at this unicorn that walked into the bathhouse. I wanted to melt into the floor and go back to my home. Very uncomfortable. Culture shock. Things that you run into, and they think nothing of it because they're in the pattern of it. Um, Well, Paul is going to use a word in Ephesians. uh, He's going to say walk a lot. Walk. And 
What that really means is that it conveys the idea of patterns of living, patterns of life. You can, you can think of it as cultural behavioral patterns, patterns that you probably aren't aware of until someone actually shows you and notice it. Comedians are good at that. Patterns you do that you don't know about it, and then you think it's funny because, yeah, I do that too, and everybody does that. That's cultural patterns. Um, it conveys this idea, the things we do and the things that we don't do, the ways of living that are based on deep-seated values that we all hold, the way we greet each other, the way we eat, drive, um, patterns of life that we follow. And most of the time, we're not really noticing them. Well, Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What Paul is saying here is, don't just get into the flow of the cultural patterns of the world around you out there in the world. Don't do that any longer. Don't just get into the flow and do what everyone else does any longer. Not a Christian. He says Christianity is basically nonconformity to the world's culture in many ways. It's entering into another culture, a subculture. Um, a culture within a culture, and in many ways, it's the culture that is counterculture, and that's called the church. So we are not called to conform to the culture. We are called to transform the culture by our culture in God. It's called the church. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about cultural dynamics in the church Things that the church is supposed to be marked by that causes us to do what we do and not do things we don't do. And it, it is the way, the way the culture in the church is supposed to be formed. And I believe he's given us sort of these columns that hold up Christian culture in the church. And I'm going to give you all four of them up top and then I'll break them, break them down for you. First, we imitate Christ and walk in love. And that's from verse 1 and 2. Then he says, we avoid sin and walk in obedience. That's verse 3 to 14. Then he says, we know the times and walk in wisdom. That's verse 15 to 17. And then lastly, we yield to the Spirit and walk in joy. And that's verse 18 to 21. So the first one, we imitate Christ and walk in love. He says, be imitators. Mimetes is the Greek, and it really is the word where we get the word to mimic, to mimic someone, uh, to just do what they do, to watch them, listen to them, and then do what they do, um, impersonate, if you will. Uh, so Paul is saying, church, mimic God with each other. Imitate God with each other. Uh, think about the planets in the solar system. All the planets are different sizes and colors and, and different moons and things, different looks about them all. But the one common thing that keeps everything in harmony is they all have the same center point. They're all orbiting, orbiting around the same uh, sun, the solar system, right? And that keeps everything really in harmony. Well, every Christian as, that's part of a church has the same 
center point, and that is Jesus. We are all mimicking Jesus. He is our center, in other words. We even have this as one of our, one of our number one values as a church is that Jesus is center. And he's center for each of us individually, and he's center for all of us together. That we all orbit and mimic Jesus as Lord and his ways. And so we mimic Jesus. And then Paul says, when you mimic Jesus, you're going to walk in love. Love. This is the attribute that is going to flow out of our lives for one another. How do you love? Well, our culture, you know, it would think of love as, uh, you know, like a love story, um, like dating or getting married or something like that. And all of that is true. But uh, love, love in the sense of an emotional feeling alone, um, it's much more than that. It is that, but it's much more than that in the Bible. And Paul says the kind of love I'm talking about is as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. This is the kind of love that we demonstrate to one another from Jesus. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for the church on the cross. This is what he's saying. I endure the sacrifice of the atonement out of love for my people, the church. I willingly sacrifice for the welfare of my church. And this is the love that he's talking about. And if we imitate Jesus, we will be motivated by the same motive. We will love the church as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We love the church and willingly give ourselves up for one another. Love is caring concern. Motivated for a concern for others. Um, compassion for others, a willingness to make sacrifice of whatever is necessary, I will sacrifice for your benefit. The opposite in the world, you know, you get around a bunch of middle schoolers and they're like, I build myself up, I tear you down to build me up, right? And that's, that's just what, the, what they do, right? They just do that all over the place. They devour each other all the time to, to build themselves up. And the church flip that completely opposite and say, no, I will, I will to go down so you can go up. And all of us are saying, I will go down, so you go up. I will build you up. I don't have to build myself up. I build you up. And this is the idea. I heard a story last week, a pastor in Chicago. We were at a conference, and he was telling a story. He lives in a, he pastors a church in a neighborhood. It's a rough part of town. Um, and they had a, had a, uh, a, it's a little poor, a poor part of Chicago. And he had a woman in his church that ministered to the prostitutes on the streets out in their neighborhood. And he asked this woman, he says, You're, you minister to the prostitutes, right? And she says, yeah. He says, would you do me a favor, go get five prostitutes, bring them to me, and find out what they will charge me for one hour of their service. And she obviously was like, why? You know, but I know you're the pastor, so I trust you, but like, what do you, what do you mean with that? Um, well, he said, just bring it to me, find out what their fee is. She brought five of the ladies to him. And he found out what their fee was, 115 85 whatever it was. And he paid each of them their one-hour fee. And then he and his wife, he added, uh, my wife was with me the whole time. <laughs> he brought them into the church. And in the church, they had, they had put a, a dinner together with candlelight. Um, they had uh, gotten them uh, services and, and just loved on these women and uh, shared with them the love of Christ. Also asked about the, any needs that they might have in their life that they could meet and how can we serve you better. And the women were just bawling. And then one of the women at the very end said, no one ever loved me like this before. 
You see, the love of Christ is powerful. Love is amazing. It feels amazing. It's the most powerful force in the world. And it should be the richest place you ever find. The love, this kind of love is in the church. When we mimic Jesus, we imitate Jesus, we walk in love, love for one another. It's a place of love. It's a place that we care. It's a place we have concern. We carry. We help. We're selfless. We're willing to make sacrifices for the welfare of another person. Gladly, because out of love. And Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christians also love the church and give themselves up for one another. This is the place where we generate the power of that kind of love. Number two, we avoid sin and walk in obedience. We can see this in verse 3 to 7, actually down to 14. Paul talks about the things that should not be a part of our culture as a church. These are the things that we don't bring in from the culture of the world. We leave those things out. These are things we would like to transform about our culture, with our culture as a church. There are absolute prohibitions in Christianity. And I think this is the most reasonable thing anyone could expect. If you believe that God has spoken, you believe God loves you, he died for your sins, he forgives you for your sins, and he calls us to conform to him, not us, him to us, where we go pick a religion that that seems to fit our desires, right? That's making a God of our own making. That's idolatry. That doesn't even make sense. You're basically your own God. You decide what your religion will require of you. That doesn't make any sense. It makes total sense. For it to be a part of a religion where you know who God is and he expects us to conform to his image. Absolutely. And if that's the truth, then it will involve prohibitions on our part. That we are be, being called away from certain things and we're being called to other things. And Paul mentions two things. Two things. That God loves us and he's calling us away from. Two things. Sexual morality and greed. Now, why those two things? It seemed random. He could have mentioned a hundred other things, but he mentions these two. Well, first of all, sexual morality, our culture would say sex is just an act, like eating. We crave food, you eat, you get satisfaction, you wipe your mouth, you move on about your business. No big deal, just a natural desire to satisfy. And that's what sex is. And they would, they would say that, and that's how they treat it. But sex is not just a physical act. act. It's very spiritual. And there are emotional, there are psychological and spiritual consequences to sexual morality. And God calls us away from those, not to hurt us, but to give us the fullness of life. He made it. He made sex. He knows how he prescribed it to be used. And when we stay in that and and use it for what it is, it's the best. It's the best plan. It's the most full plan. It's the most rewarding plan. And it gives life. It doesn't suck life away from you and destroy you from the inside out. Then he, admits, then he mentions greed, which is covetousness. It's pleonexia in the Greek. And what this is is an insatiable desire for more. Uh, the love of money, the Bible calls it. Rockefeller was asked, how much money is enough? And he quickly responded, just a little more. Right? Paul says, that's not just a little cute sentiment. That's idolatry. And he says it's a terrible sin that we're to avoid just as much as sexual morality. And we can be tempted to think that sexual morality, that's the big sin, you know. You, yeah, it's a big one. Uh, but, but, but greed, nah, that's, that's a small one, you know, over here. 
But actually, Jesus said and hinted at that greed may be the worst sin um, because it has a blinding effect. Oh, how dark is that darkness, he said. You see, with sexual morality, like, a, like adultery, you know, you don't get into adultery in, in the act of adultery and, and stop and go, wait, wait, you're, my, you're not my wife, what? You, don't, you know you're doing it when you do it. It doesn't blind you to the fact that you're, you're doing it. But greed is a sin that blinds. You can't see your own greed. Jesus told the rich young ruler, y'all remember? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commands. Obey the commands. He said, I've done them all since I was a kid. And he goes, oh, really? Oh, really? Go sell all you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. You'll have treasures in heaven. And what did he do? He went away sad. Why? All of a sudden, he could see his greed. All of a sudden, he could see he was eaten up with covetousness. All of a sudden, he could see it had him, not him have it. All of a sudden, he could see it. It manifests because Jesus said, give it. Give it. There's only one cure for greed. Generosity. It's the only cure. You can do Bible studies. You can pray. You can serve others. And you can do a whole lot of other things in the church. And never get confronted with your covetousness or your greed until you're asked to give. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's when it'll expose its head, ugly head. That's when you'll know it has you. And that's why Christians commit to the discipline of the tithe. We discipline ourselves in the tithe. Why? To posture our heart away from greed. Not allowing it to have us. When you tithe, what you're saying is, God, my very existence, you created me. What do I have that I didn't receive? I received my very life from God. And not only that, he put me in America in 2021, the most prosperous economy the planet has ever seen. And he put me right in the middle of it. He made all of us the top 5% wealthiest people in the whole world. Do you realize that? You're wealthy. You're like, I'm not wealthy. That's the problem. You don't think you're wealthy. You're incredibly wealthy. Travel the world a little bit and look at the rest of humanity. You got it made in the shade in America. You are blessed beyond your imagination and you don't even know it. Could it be an indicator of our covetousness? Where was I going with that? <laughs> we commit to the tithe because tithe is worship. Tithe is saying, you gave me my very life. You put me in America. Better than that, Texas. I'm in Texas. Austin. And... Uh, Lord, you, you've given me abundance. And I can't get any of that. You've given me the ability to be smart, that other people train me how to do a certain task. I learned how to do that task. I have capabilities to learn and grow. You put people in my life that actually taught me, and now I can actually go acquire wealth. I can bake and generate value and wealth. I wouldn't have that ability without you, God. The tithe is saying, I give a portion of what you've given to me to your cause. Why? To get my heart postured away from greed and as an act of worship before the Lord. To say all I have is yours. This is a symbol, a short portion of what you've given to me to the cause of Christ. And God uses worship to keep our hearts away from greed. And then we're generous with one another. We make sacrifices for one another on top of that. The only cure to greed, generosity. The only one. Paul goes to our identity. But look at this in verse 8. He says, you were darkness. Now notice, he didn't say you were in darkness, and he didn't say you did deeds of darkness. 
He said, you were darkness, literally, in the Greek. You are dark. It has everything to do with identity. You were darkness. Now, if that stings a little bit, read further because he brings you out of that pit. And he says, but now you are light. You are light. Live in the light. You are light. Live in the light. Verse 9 is a parenthesis. Paul wants us to make sure we know what he means by this whole light and darkness thing. To live in the light is to live openly in all aspects of your life according to what is true, right, and good. Openly with others to what is true, right, and good. New York City had power outages throughout its history. They're called blackouts. Uh, 1965, I think, was the first one. It was during the day. It wasn't that big a deal, just power without power, and then they had power. 1977, 12 years later, though, another one, but this time it happened from 9 p.m. to the morning, all night long. And the problem they had with this one is the rioting and the looting and the fires that were set and the crime, all that were committed all in one night. 1,616 stores were looted and damaged. 1,037 fires were set. 3,776 people were arrested. The jails were slammed full of people. Historic records on that one night. One major contributor, darkness. You see, we humans know in our conscience, and you know this was when you were a kid, that when we do wrong, we instinctively would seek privacy in order to do it. That's darkness. That's living in darkness. Secret. And living in the light conveys a sense that we live in a way where what we do even in private, is in accordance with what is right, true, and good. Another thing living in the light means is that we bring the sins we commit, the darkness we do, we bring it into the light and let Christ shine on us and free us. In other words, confession, repentance. See, It's embarrassing sometimes to take something that's in your heart or something that you've done and no one else knows and let someone know about it. Well, that's bringing it into the light. And it's exposing, but it's freeing. I talked to a gentleman in our church years ago, and he said, I had a secret sin in my life for many years, and I just got away with it until one day my wife, my kids, everybody found out about this sin. And he said, it was the worst day of my life And it was the best day of my life. Why? He experienced a freedom. A freedom from coming into the light. And that deed of darkness didn't corrupt his soul anymore. He felt free of it. He felt free to live in the light again. And see, confession is not just wanting to hurt you and embarrass you. Confession is get in the light. Let the light into your eyes and in your heart. Get it out. It's not a pathway of guilt and shame. It's a pathway of liberty. Confession and repentance that should flow in the church all over the place with each other. Don't tell everybody your sins. All right, don't go out and do that. Don't announce it on Facebook. All right, pastor said, no, find somebody you can trust. Okay, I'm not talking about confess to everybody. Confessing, the practice of confessing to someone. Live in the light. Get it out. Is it, is it just eating you up? Is it eating you up? Get it out. Bring it in the light. Christ will shine on you. Walk as children of the light. It also means we, we willingly subject ourselves to accountability with one another. That's what it means to live in the light is to say, you know what, I don't want to have like dangerous moments where me and the devil get one-on-one. 
No, I want to I live with structures and relationships to the degree that I live in the light. That I'm always in the light. And I don't want to have like dark moments. I want to be with, I want to have uh, accountability in my life. And I receive that gladly in this culture called the church. Thirdly, we know the times and walk in wisdom. We know the times and walk in wisdom. Walk is wise. He says, knowing the days are evil. And then he says, understand the will of the Lord. Understand the will of the Lord. There are many choices that we can make as Christians. You, get, you got 10 options that you can make. Um, and all of them are well within the lanes of God's word and God's will. I mean, you can pick any of them. But some of them are just a foolish decision and others are wise. Right? Um, where to work. Where to go to college. Who to marry? How many kids? When to have kids? Where to live? All kinds of choices. And it's wide open, really. Uh, and all kinds of choices you can make, totally within God's word and will. But then he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. What should guide you in all of those choices where it just requires wisdom? He says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me explain this. We often ask, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? Well, to find out what God's will for your life is, first ask and discover what is God's will. What does God want? What is God doing? What has he said in his word? And I need to saturate myself with what God's will is. That's a pursuit. It's a, it's a study. It's a meditation. It's thinking about God. What he's done, what he's done for me, who I am, what's the nature of the world, what are the things out there, all the things about God's will. And then, even in Romans 12, 2, where he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. In other words, how do I operate with wisdom and lots of decisions that are all within God's will and God's word? Know God's will, and you'll be able to interpret it for your life. Apply it to your life with wisdom. And for you it might go that way, and for someone else it might go this way. But we all, we all can apply God's, God's will to our lives in that way. So wisdom is knowing the times in which you live, knowing your role, your calling, knowing where God wants you, working those things out and living a life of wisdom. Fourthly, we yield to the Spirit and walk in joy. I'm going to do this really fast because I know I'm over time. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Do y'all know what the Greek word for debauchery actually means? Um, you're going to laugh. Y'all thought this came from some drunk guy in a bar somewhere. It actually means wasted. Yeah. Uh, that's what it actually means. Wasted. Debauchery. Wasted. Uh, means, and what he's saying here, you become under the total saturation influence of alcohol once you're completely saturated with the influence of alcohol, you lose your inhibition and you become a wasteful person, a waster of life. You make dumb decisions, in other words. That's where this is rooted. So if we give alcohol total saturating influence over ourselves, there may be initial joys as you begin that process. There is some. But when you saturate yourself with the influence of alcohol. Give yourself totally to the alcohol. It makes you do dumb things. Initially, alcohol produces an increase of dopamine and it also causes a release of endorphins. Dopamine is pretty awesome, all right? Um, you guys play 
Xbox and video games and all you, I'm looking at you younger kids, sorry to just look at you, I'm just, it's just instinct. Uh, but you know, when you're playing the zombie game and you kill the zombie, you go to the next level, dopamine, right? Well, you, you're like, man, look at me, I'm winning. No, you're pushing a button, all right? The game is telling you you're winning and it's giving you a dopamine hit. You hit the grand slam home run, Whoa, scored four runs and I won the game. No, you didn't do anything but push a button. The game said, let's give him a dopamine hit. That's what the game did. You dopam- it's your dopamine dealer. That's all it's doing. It's just giving you those good feels. Why? So you'll stay there and you never want to leave. That's all that is. Well, dopamine comes with alcohol too. Uh, so does endorphins, the stuff you get from exercise that gives you the runner high. It feels good. Paul's saying alcohol feels good. You go to it for joy. You go to it to feel good. You go to it to have these things. And then when you saturate yourself, with its total influence, law of diminishing returns very rapidly. You know? Next thing you know, you're in jail. And you don't remember a thing. Well, this is what Paul's talking about. But here's what he's saying. You go to that for joy, it leads to that. What he's saying is, Go to the Spirit of God and get all of him you can. Yield your whole self to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, because alcohol lessens your ability to know reality, it shuts off parts of the brain where you can't know. That's why people deal with their problems. They don't want to think about it, so they take alcohol, and you literally can't think about it. It just shuts down your brain. It makes you less aware of reality. He's saying, be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, He increases your ability to be aware of reality, and the joy is greater. The joy is no hangover, right? No getting arrested, stuff like that. So Paul is here talking about how do do we do that? How do we get full of the Spirit, right? That's always wondered, like, is there a bottle? You know, like there is for alcohol. Is there, how do I get filled with the Spirit? Well, when you're a Christian, initially, When you are saved, you invite Christ into your heart, you trust Christ for salvation, you receive the Spirit as a deposit. He lives there, he lives in you. But Paul here is referring to a different thing. He's referring to the same way you go out, have fun, drink, get drunk, whatever, and then it goes away, you get the hangover, and then later you go back and you get it again. This is what he's talking about with the Spirit. Be continuously being filled with the Spirit. What does he mean by that? He means... Be always coming back to the altar of all, offering your whole self and yielding your whole self to the Holy Spirit. You know, you get, you get full of the Spirit, and then you go out and you live life, and all of a sudden you, you start taking back control of your life and making decisions that aren't so good. And then you need to come back to that altar. You need to come back to that place where you, 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 you get filled with the Spirit again. In other words, you yield yourself totally to the influence of the Spirit. So how do we do it? Verse 19 to 21, if you ask, how do I get filled with the Spirit? Where do I go? What do I do? 19 to 21 is your answer. It's your answer. And what does he say? You go to church. That's what he says. Together. Everything in the context of being filled with the Holy Spirit is all together. All together. Not to say you can't be filled with the Spirit in other ways and Bible study on your own or anything like that. But you go together. Because he mentions things that we can only do together. He did. Um, sing to one another. Worship. The, the literal word here is Eucharisto. Eucharist. Worship. Thanks. 
Offering yourself to God, giving thanks to God, singing hymns and spiritual songs to one another, proclaiming the truth to one another, yielding to one another, yielding to the church. Yielding, yielding is this idea. Look at, look at this real quick, and I'm done, I promise. Colossians 3.16, he says something very similar, but he uses a different term. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, be in the, under the total saturation presence of the word of God. Saturated influence of the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you do that? Teaching and admonishing one another. You want the word of you want to have the word of God, the saturation influence of the Spirit or the Word of God in your life? Go to church. And in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Stand, raise your hands, let's all get our hearts, our hearts hot in the Lord together. Let's raise those affections to Christ as high as we can get them together. It's a part of being filled with the Spirit. Get together with the saints. Sing with all your might to the Lord. Get your heart hot with Christ. If it's cooled off, get it back. Get back in here. It's like let's set a campfire right here in the middle of this room and let's just sit around the campfire and let's sing to him with all our might. I promise you, you won't leave there cold. You'll leave there with a hot heart for Christ. That's being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not having an experience with the Spirit where you look like you're actually drunk on alcohol. That's not being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is being, what I believe, Paul, synonymous. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word of Christ, the filling of the Holy Spirit, synonymous to Paul. Because he said the same thing. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, Eucharist in your hearts to God. Worship. It's worship. Hearing the Word proclaimed and God and the Spirit just, just maybe poking on something in your heart and you go, you know what your response to that is? Yield. Yield. A sin maybe that he's saying, hey, let's bring that out. Let's bring that out. Let's bring that out. What's the, what's the response? Yield. How do you get filled with the Spirit? Uh, you hear his word and, and you're making decisions and you yield. Um, a theme keeps coming up. You and your interaction with the body of Christ, you keep hearing a theme on all your conversations and you're going like, what is the deal? Guess who's talking to you? You know what he wants from you? Yield to him. Give total influence, saturation influence of your heart and life, everything to him. Yield to him in that area. Give it to him. Yield. Bow. Get on your knees. Let him have you, all of you. Be filled with the Spirit. And listen, bottom line, when you're filled with the Spirit, you know what will be the result? Joy. It's the only place that you can have that. That joy, that peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. It comes flooding into your heart when you what? Yield. Yield. Drink him in. Let him have every aspect of your being. Make Make his word saturate you in all of your being. And he'll fill you with joy. May that be true of us, church. Amen? All right, I'm going to close. I'm, I'm I've ran over too much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, may we be a people that lets the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that we are filled continuously with the Spirit. We are a people who yield to you, Holy Spirit. Have your way in our midst. You set the agenda. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Do it in us. Fill us with your joy. May we be a people of joy. May we be a people who gather together routinely to get our hearts hot in you. When we Get out in the world and we get our hearts hot with the things of the world and cold toward you. Lord, get us back in here together that we'd get our hearts hot in you and stay full and free and full of joy and power. Help us to live in the light as you are in the light and fellowship with one another. Oh, Lord, take all of this and make it true of us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with me all across the room. We're going to sing. Let's sing with all our hearts to the Lord. Amen.